Hi, I'm Joseph. And I'm TJ. And this is Hi-Fi. TJ, Merry Christmas. <sighs> Merry Karmas, more like. I, um, <laughs> oh, I had no. to rescue my wife off the side of the road yesterday uh, where the car broke down. So that's well, fine. that sounds like the now. making Car- of a good holiday story. Like this could be the year <laughs> that they adapt your Christmas into a screenplay. Yeah, if you consider it a good story to be out on the side of the road fixing a car. Um, uh, you just yeah. throw in a Christmas tree and say that the Christmas tree broke the car. You know, one of the yeah, branches. Yeah, I'm not sure how the, the I'm not sure how the Christmas tree would cause a belt to break on the water pump and the alternator, but you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Nuts. Nobody wants to hear about that. Cars are dumb. Nobody cares. Mm. Well, otherwise, are you enjoying the holiday cheer, this season's festivities? Not yet. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done, and I'm trying to make sure that it all gets done before we – And my, my holiday, basically, I have off of work between Christmas and New Year, all, all that entire week. And yeah. that's when my holiday really begins is the 20 – the Christmas Eve. That's – you know, I have that day entirely off and, you know – then I'm off for a week. Okay. Yeah, we have a different work scenario than ever before. We have light remote work style. So we're taking work lightly. And if we have any emergencies, we'll respond to that. But otherwise, we do have Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, New Year's Eve, and New Year's Day off off. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to cram in like three work weeks into one to try and get ahead of the curve. Trying to produce shows, trying to produce podcasts. It takes time. Yeah. Santa could deliver some podcasts to me this Christmas and I would not complain. Oh yeah? What what podcast do you want Santa to deliver to you? The ones I have to produce, so I don't have to work on them. Okay. Um sure. I don't know where to go with that, Joe. <laughs> Santa Claus, I've been good this year. Come on. I've output a lot of podcasts. Can you help me out? Well, Joe, I thought that um, to start things off, so if we can just kind of move on, um, I've discovered. So let me let me let me set the stage here. So one of the things that always annoys me about Mac OS is it can never remember what audio input I was using last. If I unplug my Rode Podcaster or I plug into my dock and then I unplug it, and this is specifically my laptop. Uh, but even even like with my desktop computer, which is always connected to the same audio equipment, except I will plug in and unplug my Rode Podcaster microphone, and then it might switch to any other device that's connected. And another thing that really annoys me is my displays via DisplayPort or HDMI present themselves to macOS as having uh, sound. Uh, output uh, where you can output sound to them. Now, this it does no good because in order for these displays to actually output sound, you have to connect them to speakers. So it kind of defeats the whole purpose anyway, right? But yeah. they show up in macOS's sound preferences as uh, display uh, Dell P2415Q. Three, there's three of those because I have three displays. And randomly, macOS will, when I disconnect my Rode Podcaster or my sound or my dock, will randomly choose that. Uh, as or your sound choose, output. Yeah, as my sound output. And then it's like, why can't, why isn't sound coming? Oh, I know why. And so I have to go to system preferences and select the right thing and do that whole dance. So 
What I've put in the show notes here is called Audio Profile Manager. I, I When I upgraded to uh, Big Sur, which I'll talk about in a minute, I also at the same time was thinking there are things I want to improve about this setup. Obviously, Mac has not addressed this issue that I'm having. Surely there's an app or a, a, a something that will fix this for me. And I can I – can, because what I Googled was I want to set a priority order of – of inputs and outputs. If this output is available, go to that. If not, go to this. If not, go to this. I want to be able to set that priority. And again, macOS just doesn't provide this this uh, feature. And so I found this application called Audio Profile Manager. And surprisingly, at least to me, it's in the Mac App Store. So it's officially Apple-sanctioned in that way. And uh, I, I assume this would be like a hack and would not be able to be in the Mac App Store. But it is in the Mac App Store. And um, so far, it has done what I want it to do. It doesn't quite present a um, a hierarchy. You can't go this, then this, then this. But it does remember. So, um, and it locks your inputs and outputs to what you've selected in the app. Um, and it lives in the menu bar. It's a menu bar app. And so I have selected Rode Podcaster. Whenever it's connected, that's what I want the audio locked to. When I disconnect the Rode Podcaster, I want it to go to the uh, dock that I have connected. In this case, my laptop, I want it to go to the dock that I have connected. And then then after that, if that's disconnected, I want it to go to the computer's sound output, the, you know, the speakers on the MacBook Pro. So far, this app has done exactly that. I have not had an issue since then. It is really wonderful. And the nice thing is, uh, because it was so unreliable, I was manually often selecting the microphones in Zoom, uh, because I use Zoom a lot at work, because I work remotely and our meetings are all over Zoom. And so I was always doing this dance of, hang on, let me select the right audio inputs and outputs, and then it's like, can you hear me? Can you? Well, now I just have Zoom set to do whatever the system default is, and then I have this app set to always you know, do this hierarchy. And it's been great. It's been wonderful. So I wanted to share it with our listeners. This is yeah. all about living a hi-fi lifestyle, and this has improved my fidelity of, of quality of life. Yeah, it's also uh, essential for a video chat of 2020 lifestyle. That's really useful. Yes. Yeah. We make new video calls twice a week at least, if not more than that at work. So that sounds very yeah. handy. I could use this. Yeah, I, I recommend it, at least trying it. And um yeah, like I said, so it, it doesn't necessarily have a hierarchy, but it just remembers when certain devices are connected that that's the one that you want to be live. And when it's disconnected, you want the previous one to be live. And and so it, it works great that way. I'm using it on both Catalina and Big Sur with no issues. Catalina on my laptop, Big Sur on my desktop. Oh, that's a good tip. That's a good recommendation. So you dropped a big one. You mentioned that you're now using Big Sur. And I'm wondering, uh, you've got Catalina and Big Sur. Can you explain how you're making the two operating systems work at this time. What What's running what? Okay, so um, I upgraded my uh, Hackintosh, which I have named Clue, if you might recall from our one of the previous episodes. So Clue is running nice. Big Sur. Um, and um, that, was, that went as smooth as butter. Um, I mentioned in several episodes ago that I'd upgraded the Hackintosh to a bootloader called OpenCore, which very closely emulates Mac OS's own boot or you know the Macintosh's own bootloader and so I literally just um, when I was ready I went to system preferences I said click I clicked on the update button on Big Sur and it did the thing and I left it alone and it just did it um, so it, well, through the reboots and everything it just did the right thing and that was great and I would have to say that Big Sur I've been using it for a week now 
um, on my Hackintosh, which is my primary computer. And uh, Big Sur has been the most stable release of any Mac OS release I have ever used. That's and very I, high praise. I go all the way back to Jaguar um, 10.2. That's when I started using Mac OS. So mm-hmm. for me to say that this is the most stable release of Mac OS I've ever used, I've used many, I've used every version of Mac OS since 10.2. And we're we're on eleven point now. Previous what was Catalina? Oh, I've got Catalina right here in front of me. Was it at fourteen? Uh, we're on fifteen, or is it vice versa? Ten point fifteen. So ten dot fifteen was Catalina, and yeah, now okay. Big Sur is uh, macOS eleven. Yeah. So it is. I have had zero issues with compatibility with any of my software. I have had zero issues with stability. I have had zero issues with. Random kernel panics or reboots. Um, I can't remember if it was Catalina or the previous. I had in the, in the initial release uh, some issues with random reboots and kernel panics on a – at the time, I didn't even have the Hackintosh, I think, so it was a couple of versions ago. So it was an official Mac hardware, and it, so I couldn't blame it on that. Uh, but, but Big Sur has, has been really good, and um, I like it a lot just in terms of the look and feel. I know some people have – um, complained about this and that, and I would, I would, you know, I would say it's not without its flaws. I feel like, um, for instance, um, system preferences is incomplete in its transition to Big Sur. Like the icons, some of them feel very out of place. Um, I, I think that Apple has some polish to put on there, but but it's a good effort for the initial re- major overhaul visually of Mac OS um, in many years. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm really enjoying it. Now you asked the question, why what's running what? So my Workbook Pro um, has not been approved to upgrade to Big Sur yet. Um, otherwise, I'm I'm ready. I've been I'm happy enough with it on the Hackintosh uh, that it's uh, I'm ready. But so, do you think um, that you could pull some weight to get them to upgrade, or is that something that's oh, really I have. beyond I, support? So I have a good uh, relationship with uh, the uh, owner or one of the uh, partners of the company, and he's also the one that gives the yay or the nay on um, on these upgrades. And I've actually been talking about it with him, and I and he knows that I I do most of my work on my Hackintosh just because it's a bigger, better computer. I mean, the the work laptop is really just so that I have a work-provided computer, and if something goes wrong with my own equipment, I can get it done. I mean, they don't expect you to work on your equipment, basically. There's nothing wrong with me working on my computer. So basically what I told them is um, I'm going to upgrade my personal computer to Big Sur and see how it goes. And worse comes to worse, I fall back to the laptop, which has a working, you know, I work on it sometimes anyway. So... Uh, it has all my stuff working, and so I felt confident with these two computers that I would be able to fall back to something if something went wrong. Um, and, and so he said, let me know how it goes, and uh, he also said, I'm, I'm waiting to give a com- approval to the rest of the folks in the company until uh, Mac OS 11.1 comes out, which it just did on Tuesday, oh. I think. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and I had upgraded just before 11.1 came out. So when 11.1 came out, I actually did that upgrade also smooth as butter. I just clicked update and it updated. Um, and I haven't noticed a difference in macOS between 11.0 and 11.1. Oh, very cool. Very cool. So anyway, yeah, he's, been, I've been keeping, yeah. he's been keeping tabs and, uh, he's, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I said, can I upgrade my work laptop? He'd probably say, yeah, go for it based on my experience. So that has been the case for me as well. I think that it is really reliable compared to even the previous generation of Finder. There's always been a few bugs tucked away in Finder that the way I work and use keyboard shortcuts or the mouse even, you know, I find myself hitting those little stumbling blocks all the time. And I run into next to none of them anymore. I don't know if they, I mean, what would you attribute it 
to because I know Big Sur was not intended to be a stability release that they were focusing on design. So it's interesting to me that Apple did not really promote the stability factor, but that has been something in my experience, I would say has been the most meaningful difference with Big Sur. I would say it's probably two things. Um, so the first thing is Catalina was a disaster. The The launch of Catalina was a complete disaster. Like I cannot overstate how awful the Catalina launch was. Even, even though I waited for months before I upgraded to Catalina, it was still buggy. And it is just Catalina, I would say, has only in the last four or five months gotten stable. Um and so, and that, uh, just for our listeners, in case they're not, you know, they're listening for some reason and not macOS people, Catalina is the previous version of macOS from Big Sur. Um, so, I think the first reason is they probably internally said we cannot ship another OS that is disastrous stability-wise as Catalina. We just can't do that. So they probably had a much better. They probably audited their internal processes, their QA. Like Apple's always been kind of bad at QA and shipping stuff that shouldn't have shipped, but and software-wise. Um, but I, I say always. I would say the last several years, the last ten years, they've been bad at that. But I think maybe Catalina and that and iOS thirteen was also kind of a disaster just the whole thing just felt like nobody qa'd anything at apple and they shipped it and it shouldn't have been shipped both both of those operating <laughs> systems so i think they probably got a memo from tim cook I'm, I'm guessing saying don't ever let this happen again if not <laughs> tim cook maybe phil schiller i don't know <laughs> yeah um because yeah. yeah so so they probably really worked hard to make it a much more stable release that's so that's the first thing is just being aware that they shipped a pretty bad Stability-wise, a pretty bad version of macOS with Catalina. <laughs> the second thing is a visual overhaul doesn't necessarily entail underpinning overhauls. Not necessarily. Now, I'm a little less familiar with what might have changed in the underpinning of B- Big Sur, where Catalina actually was a pretty big update underneath the hood. They did a lot of things to Catalina. They changed the way a lot of the security systems work. They changed the way Gatekeeper worked. They changed the way um, – and, 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 and the security and Gatekeeper stuff were some of the primary sources of bugs in Catalina, and they changed a lot of that stuff. Whereas in Big Sur, I'm not sure that they touched a lot of the underlying frameworks of macOS. It was really more about a, a big visual overhaul. And mm. so any bugs that we might experience in Big Sur are probably going to be re- related to visual overhauls and not the underlying code that, that drives – that is the heart of the OS. So I think those two things combined have made this a much more stable release. Yeah. A lot of third-party apps had a design change over the last few years that looked more modern, I think influenced by the Windows interface and Chrome and other browsers that try to compete with Chrome to look a little bit more modern. And uh, Mavericks and Catalina were trapped in the past. So with Big Sur, I felt like they came a lot closer to the modern interface design, a flat design with layers so that there's a sort of material design approach like Google uh, spoke about a few years back. And I'm using Safari on a regular basis again, prefer it over uh, Google, Chrome, and Brave, and uh, Microsoft Edge. And I like it very much. It makes sense. It's more streamlined. It seems more efficient to use the ecosystem features between the iPad as well as the phone and the Mac. Uh, Even little things that used to be hit or miss like copying text on one and then trying to paste it on the other. It has been more consistent 
where I had given up on those features before in the ecosystem, but I'm using them again. And I'm pleasantly surprised that they are not just working, but they're also so snappy that it really impresses me when I pick up my phone right after doing something on the Mac and try to get back to the thing I was previously on. It it recognizes it. For example, if you are in messages on the Mac and then you pick up your phone because you want to respond to it there as you leave the desk, you might swipe up to get the multitasking switcher. Then you'll notice that there is a button at the underneath the multitasking apps that are all loaded in the carousel that says, you know, you were just on messages on the Mac. Do you want to continue from there in messages on your phone? And I'm like, yes, I do. So I tap that and it takes me right to messages. And that just saves you a few extra swipes to try and track down messages or go back to the home screen. And I like that kind of fluidity. And I think that this is probably what any ecosystem would aspire to. I don't know if it's that handy on Android hopping to a Chromebook, but I should expect that that would be something that they would make a priority. And living in the Apple ecosystem, not really able to compare it to what Andrew, Android, I was about to call it Andrew, um, Android, and Chromebooks and the like are up to these days. At least as a Mac user and power user and enthusiast of life, I do agree that it seems like it's working more reliably, but also more efficiently. So... I mean, that's you, interesting. Apple. You're talking about the way you use your Mac and your iPad and your iPhone and, and especially like the handoff stuff. I almost never use handoff um, because my devices tend to serve different purposes. And, and like I've never had a desire mm-hmm. to be like, I'm doing this messages conversation. Now I need to pick it up where I left off. Like I can just go to the messages app and it is all already synced. I don't have to worry about it. Like mm-hmm. I, I've just never used my computer that way. Where I do find some frustration, and so when I'm on the Mac, I never have a need to hand off to my iPad or my phone. But when I'm on Windows, I wish that I could. But if but if the if Windows could, then it would also solve the problem that I'm having on Windows, which is I'm having iMessage conversations with people, uh, and I can't do that on Windows, and so I have to have my iPad, and like I want to paste a link that I just saw maybe from on on Windows, and I want to get it to my iPad. Um, so I have this really crazy workaround to make that happen. But if, if handoff worked between Windows and, and iOS, it would be great. But then I'm assuming also messages would just be on Windows, and it wouldn't even be a problem anyway. So, yeah. you know, it's, a, it's sort of like, which problem do you solve? Now, speaking of messages, um, I, I know this is such a silly little thing. Like, we had iMessage on Catalina, and it was fine. But Messages on Big Sur is an entirely new new to the Mac application. It's actually a Catalyst app. So it is the iPad version of the Messages app, but then tweaked and used using the Catalyst framework and then tweaked a little bit to work on uh, on the Mac and to understand things like drag and drop and, and things like that from your Mac desktop if you're dropping a file or whatever. It, it works. You, you So when Catalyst initially uh, launched, and for those who don't know, Catalyst is the framework Apple created um, – was it in Catalina or was it the previous? I think it was Catalina's when it launched. The yeah. framework for bringing an iOS app to the Mac with little to no effort um, to to do that. So you could bring an iPad app over to the Mac. And many, many developers took advantage of this. But you could tell Catalyst apps felt like third-class citizens. They didn't feel quite like Mac apps. The Messages app 
that is a Catalyst app. The Apple has improved it to the degree that it feels like a Mac app. I do not notice that it's not. A, it, I, I would not say, oh, this came from iOS. Because if you double click on a conversation, as you would expect, it comes up in its own window, just like the previous, the, the Catalina version of, of Messages did. But it's all, but it's a lot less buggy. It looks a lot nicer and it has all the features that you would expect, like pinned message conversations. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't get weird and strange delays and hiccups. And it, you know, when you open your laptop, you're not waiting for messages to come in they, they come in properly and and things like this i don't know if you've noticed this in catalina and previous with the messages app oftentimes if your computer had been asleep for a while it took a long time sometimes for iMessages to sink in and that just doesn't seem to be the case anymore with this version of messages so lots of great things going on there and again it's such a little feature but i use messages all the time and it's so great that it that they've they've fixed my issues with it so very happy about that Something I would like, and I don't know if this is true, so maybe you can add to this in your experience. When I'm using messages across all my devices, I would like to have the chats that I delete to be removed from all of them in all the devices. Mm-hmm. There's been an awful lot of political tweets, or not tweets, text messages coming at me, and they're the same things almost every day. Hey, did you know in Georgia there's a very, very important vote coming up? And I'm getting this every day and delete every one of them because, yes, I know I'm going to vote. You don't have to worry about me. But I get them across the devices and then I'm deleting the one, but it's not deleting it from the other. Have you noticed that pattern? Do do you not have messages in the cloud turned on? Let me check on the Mac. Messages, preferences, well, at least on Catalina. I'm calling Catalina for this podcast. Um, It's under iMessage in Catalina, and it's enable messages in the cloud. I'm looking at preferences on the Mac for, okay, so it doesn't, okay, there's the uh, iMessage. Enable messages in iCloud. Okay, I'm clicking that on. Messages in iCloud not available. This should solve your problem. Oh, Okay, do you have any computers that are running really old or iOS uh, devices running old systems? I'm thinking if I do, it would be an old Mac Mini that I don't use on a regular basis. Yeah, you might need to sign out on that computer. Let's see, messages in the cloud is not available. Whoops, messages in the cloud is not available. This is what podcasts are for, is debugging our problems, right? Yeah. Well, okay. So to add to the mystery, it says in this pop-up message on the Mac, messages in iCloud is not available because iCloud and iMessage accounts are different. Yep. Yep. I just Googled that same problem. (laughs) Um, So you're using a different something. So you're signing into iCloud with a different uh, account than you're signing into messages with apparently. Maybe. Um, it's going to be tough to figure out because on the Mac, it is only using my phone number for messaging. And I thought that that's what I was doing on my iPad and my phone as well. But it could be another device. I have a personal Mac Mini and a work Mac Mini and a family iMac. So I'm betting those are the culprits because I don't use them very often and I haven't changed well, their no, preferences Well, no, this might actually while. be a, a different issue. It just sounds like you're signing into I, your messages, iMessage account with a different Apple ID than you're signing into iCloud with, is what it sounds like. Oh, um, okay. Well, it, yeah. But, yeah, it, it, come to think of it, it does show here my old Apple ID, but I don't mm, use that one intentionally anymore. I thought that the so iMac was like already on my new one. 
and sign mm-hmm. into iMessage with your newer one. Now, who knows what that'll do to our conversations because, you know, Apple is really mm-hmm. bad at some of this stuff. Yeah. Okay, so just to, just to confirm, I've never had a problem. I have several of those text messages that you mentioned that I usually delete but just haven't gotten around to. I'm going to delete one on my Mac and then see if it goes away on my phone. So I'm pulling up on my phone a message from Walgreens about my pharmacy. I'm going to delete it on the Mac. This is Catalina, but it should be the same in Catalina or Big Sur. Hmm. Drum roll, interesting. please. That's interesting. It didn't go away. Uh, I... Give it a few seconds. Yeah, that's possible. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's interesting because that was the uh, – so you have – okay, this is really frustrating that Apple like doesn't figure out how to make this more seamless. But you have iMessages, right? And then yeah. you have text message relay so that your phone is the master of the text messages, but it will relay them to the Mac. This should all be working over iMessage and iCloud, but who knows how Apple has it all working. Um, but yeah, it does appear that the text message I deleted, it was an actual SMS. I deleted it on the Mac. It did not go away on the phone. That's interesting. I'm going to try deleting from the phone and see if it goes away on the Mac. I don't know. This is, this is boring. I'm gonna have to cut some of this. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, anecdotally, I, I can understand maybe there are people out there who don't want the deletes to be the same across devices, but I think of it more like email. If I'm archiving an email or if I'm deleting an email, I want it to do the same thing everywhere. So I don't oh, understand why totally. message chats would be different. I completely agree. I think the same way about all I, I want my messages, my emails, my everything to be the same everywhere. Which is, you know, this, which is why the proliferation of Gmail has become so popular is because in the early days of email, um, especially with pop email, IMAP was a later implementation, although still pretty early, but people just didn't catch on to IMAP and providers didn't provide IMAP the way that the providers provided pop. And pop is a just download all the messages and then I'll never talk to the server again about that message. Where IMAP, you know, is a syncing protocol and most, most email these days relies on some form of IMAP if, if you're looking at it in a, in a uh, in an application now, now Gmail got really popular back in the, the mid to late two thousands because the normal people in the world didn't they they didn't know how to think about that they didn't care what the reasons were all they knew was I pull up Gmail in my browser and it's the same everywhere and it's a pretty good browser interface um, and a web interface and so and it's just gotten better over time and in fact Gmail now is a pretty good experience just on the web now I use apps like Spark. But Spark actually interacts with the Gmail API so that it syncs everywhere on every device. I can look at gmail.com. I can look at Spark on my phone, on my computer, on anywhere, and the mail is all going to be exactly the same. And that's the way I think about it is I'm I'm interfacing with my email, not my email on this computer and my email on that computer, right? Right. And that's the same thing. I, I think the same way about messages. I want it to be the same everywhere. I, I, it is interesting because – and this tends to be, I think, older folks. Um, I'm pretty good friends with a, a guy uh, – I used to do, work with him a lot, but he's 15, 18 years older than I am. And he hated the – like he's like, I don't – what? why is my – why would I delete my mail on this computer? Does it delete it over there? I want it on that computer. I don't want it on this one. I want it on my – I don't want it on my iPhone. I want it on my computer. And huh. I looked at his setup for him and he's got – IMAP, you know, because when he signed in, you know, Apple recognized that it was an IMAP thing, and so it connected via IMAP, and so any changes he makes are made everywhere. And I said, well, I can set it up so that it 
doesn't do that if you want. He's like, yes, I do not want, I, I want to manage it per device. Like that's weird, but like people, some people want that, I guess. So yeah. we, huh. we kind of fell off on a tangent. Should we uh, continue no, talking about Big, Big Sur? Yes, yeah, please. yeah, yeah. So um, one thing that I use is an application called Carbon Copy Cloner. Um, I use this application to make um, full disk backups of my devices, of my, of my disks. Um, and in the case of my boot drive, it'll make a bootable copy of your disk. And you can also use features like SafetyNet, where if you delete a file during the day – so I have this running every night. And, and if you delete a file on your disk during the day – it will on the on that backup disk move it to a folder called safety net and then delete it after 30 or 60 days or however you have it configured um and so it has really cool features like that um because apple changed the way their file system works in big sur there are some features that went away and you cannot continue using the same backup disk you either have to erase it or create a new volume and back up to the new volume so I found that a little bit frustrating, but uh, what I ended up doing was um, I create because APFS, Apple's newer file system, has this idea called a APFS container, and you can have any number of volumes within that container, and they're not they're not size constrained. I just created new volumes within the container, and I'm backing up to that. And after I don't know a couple of weeks, I'll probably delete my Catalina backup. So that was a little frustrating, but it's uh, it was able to, I was able to work around it, and it's a full bootable. I've, I tested the bootle, boot, bootability of it with Big Sur, and it works fine. So every night at three a.m., uh, I get a, a fresh you know freshly backs up any new files to that external disk, and if something goes wrong with my internal disk, I have that external, and if something goes wrong with the external, I'll replace it. So that's sort of my backup strategy, my quick and easy local backup strategy. Nice. Um, yeah, so that's working fine. Um, I really, Joe, I really like the new look and feel of Finder. I, I would say the functionality of Finder hasn't changed, and there's still things I wish that Finder had that it doesn't. But the look of it and the feel of it feels really good. And it feels a lot like – so So usually um, in the older days, people building third-party apps were – um, trying to emulate Apple's apps, right? They tried to make things look like Apple's apps. Um, and over time, that has shifted. And, and Finder actually reminds me a lot of third-party apps like Spark, um, where the sidebar is a full up, you know, fully vertical. It fills the vertical space of the window instead of being like under a toolbar. And, and things about it just feel really modern, um, if that makes sense. So, I'm really happy with Finder, and I'm happy that Apple's not too proud to copy the look and feel of, of more modern apps instead of forging their own path that way. Yeah. One thing I'm wondering about Finder lately, and I don't know if this came with that point one update, was it wasn't doing this before that I recall. If I created a new Finder window because all of them had been closed, it would be at the present, a very small size, very unusable. So every time I create a new Finder window in this situation, I have to resize it because the sidebar contents of locations and tags are completely mm. cropped off and the window is itty-bitty. Maybe the size of like the, the system preferences window, which is too impractical to get anything done in the Finder. It's just a little thing, but why is my window small every time? 
So I try yeah, you're to. Right. Mm-hmm. I have noticed that in Catalina. I actually have not noticed whether whether Big Sur does this or doesn't do this, where if you close all your finder windows, the next new finder window you open will be small. It's annoying in Catalina. In my case, I don't think this was happening until recently. So if there's a setting in there somewhere hmm. to define, like, make the window the same size as the most recent window you had in its state before you closed it, that's exactly what I would want. But I haven't come across that sort of thing. Well, and I, I think this has been an ongoing thing with Finder where Apple doesn't – doesn't. how do I explain this? So, um, yeah, Finder has been spatially challenged ever since Mac OS X was released and now just Mac OS. But the modern version of Mac OS, not classic Mac OS. So in the olden days and, – and there are many things that I did not like about classic Mac OS Finder. Um, but one of the good things about classic Mac OS finder was it would remember its window sizes and positions and the things in them would always be in the same place. It was called a spatial finder because it was always spatially oriented the same way you left it. Mac OS is Mac OS 10's finder. And you know, what used to be called Mac OS 10 is not like that at all. And there are a number of things I love about modern finder, such as the ability to browse, uh, you know, in, in a, you know, the browser mode where in the old finder, if you double click in classic finder, because it's very spatially oriented, if you double clicked on a folder, it opened in a new window, right? Whereas this, you can double click and it opens in place in the same window and you can just browse the way you would kind of expect in modern terms. But what we've sacrificed is spatial orientation, where Finder doesn't remember the placement of its windows. It doesn't remember the size of its windows. It doesn't remember the placement of things inside of the of folders. Like, that, that, those are real problems with, with Finder, and Apple seems to show no interest in fixing these issues, and it sort of destroys muscle memory, which is unfortunate. Yeah, or when you say it doesn't remember the placement of the files in a Finder's window, are you talking about using the icon view? Yes. Um, so do I don't you use icon use view... It? No, okay. I usually use um, the middle view. What's the the one called? Columns. The de- li- um, no, no, I don't like columns. Uh, list view, the details ah, view, where you can. Good man. It, that's it, the one yeah, I use as well. View. That's the one I would and even in in the classic Finder. If I ever used System Nine, which I did on occasion, I would use this view mostly anyway. But there are a couple of folders that I would use Icon View, except it's too frustrating because Apple the Finder doesn't remember where you like put anything. How to have ever. them organized. Yes. Well, what I what I found is I gave up a long time ago trying to organize them into groups like that by hand with the cursor. But I do like this keyboard command. If I do switch to the icon view, it's usually because I'm looking at screenshots and pictures, and I want to see them organized in somewhat a usable way. Then what you do is you switch to the icon view and everything is jumbled. And it's like, I don't know why. Why are these things? Why are some of them over here? Some of them over there? Uh, completely out of view on the Finder window until you resize it. So what I do is in that view, I hold down Option, Command, and press 2. And it automatically organizes them, I think, by uh, kind alphabetically. And when yeah. it does that, it's usable again. And then I get back to the list view when I'm done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, because I just, you know, I, because I, I'm not allowed, Mac OS Finder doesn't allow me to organize things in the icon view. I just don't bother. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah Finder is just frustrating in that way. And and for the most part, I think Finder is a great application. And I, um, I, I it just has these little tiny nitpicks um, that I, annoy me. 
I, you know, I, there are also things like I wish you could do dual pain finder. Um, Coco tech pathfinder allows for dual pain, but there are a lot of other things that I don't like about, about pathfinder. So I wind up never using it very often. Usually what I end up doing is just arranging uh, two finder windows with the moom app application because you can add sure. side by sides and it's not too yeah, much yeah. of a pain to use a keyboard shortcut. Sure. And I use um, an application called, what is it called? Preferences. Please remind me what your name is. Mosaic. So yeah, that, that's fine. But it's just, I wish that I could have finder windows, basically two finder windows attached to each other and you drag one and the other comes with it. That's dual pane browsing, right? I, I wish you could have that, but we don't have it. You know, I wish the path bar were on top instead of the bottom, but what, what are you going to do? It's uh, Which most people don't, probably don't have that showing, but I go to view... Uh, show status bar, show path bar, show all tabs. You know, I, I, there are features of the finder that I use all the time that I just want visible. And the path bar is on the bottom, and that's not sane. <laughs> sane people put path bar on top. Anyway, <laughs> you, you can't do that in finder, so it's annoying. Yeah. Moving on, a couple other things about uh, Big Sur. This wound up being a longer conversation than I thought. Um, notifications, I find I like the look of them, but... Apple has done the junk drawer mentality where they've hidden features behind the junk drawer. So, for instance, <laughs> um, used to be with find with notifications in Catalina, you had these buttons on the side that were clearly labeled that you could see these great big targets that you would just swipe, you know, flick your mouse up there and click close or or accept if it was calendar or whatever. There was action buttons. And maybe if there was more than one action, you would click that action button, it would drop down and show you. But but that is now the default in, in Big Sur, where you have to click twice to act on a notification because you have to click the drop down, and then you click an action. There is no action in the notification itself anymore, on top of which you don't even know there are actions until you move the mouse to hover over it. Yeah, so and then, then there's a button for show or a drop down, and it suggests a couple of things. Yes, yeah. but those actions are completely hidden until your mouse moves over the thing, and so you don't quite know at a glance where your target that you're mousing to is and it's it's just bad design and they should fix that they should they should not hide things that just show them their notifications it's okay for them to have some window chrome on them to, to some actions some buttons it's, it's okay apple it's okay um so notifications i find slightly annoying even though i like the look of them i and i like the way they function within the the new um the, the, uh what do you call it the um when you click the thing and it slides over the notification center. area, the, the widget center, yeah. I like all that. I just – I wish that Apple wouldn't hide things and, and hide functionality behind the junk drawer. Hmm. Makes sense. Okay. My um, my last thing that I want to talk about with Big Sur is window layering. Um, and I find in Catalina uh, – again, I think that Big Sur looks a lot better. But I find in Catalina I don't have any trouble identifying the active window at all. And I do in Big Sur, and that's because it is the opposite of the way Catalina is, where when you activate a finder window, for instance, and it's the active window, it is pure solid white almost. And the windows behind it are sort of – I don't even – not dim is the wrong word because if they were dim, it would help. <laughs> but it's, I find it difficult to differentiate the active state from the inactive state, whereas here I'm looking at two finder windows in Catalina, and it is very clear that the one behind – is not active or the one that is not active. I have them side by side, so they're not even overlapping, but I can tell very easily, oh, that finder window is inactive. It is not receiving active input. This finder window is active. It is receiving active input. And then I switch to system preferences, and oh, I can tell it is active, and the finder 
windows are not active. Like it's very easy in Catalina to tell, and it is not easy in Big Sur. I I, I think they have some polish to put on that UI there. Yeah, uh, in response to that, there is a third-party app called Hazover that if you're willing to give it a go, it may solve the issue because it doesn't – going back to what you were saying, Window Chrome just appeared a little bit differently from top to bottom for the selected window versus all the others behind it. And in now Big Sur, all of them are very closely the same. They're not the same, but they're very close. So – uh, Hazover was recommended by the Mac Power users, and I picked it up. What it'll do is just make it start at login, so it feels like it's part of the operating system. And you can determine how much you want the background windows to be a little bit hazed over, a little bit darker, and there's a slider for how much darker you want. So you can make them <laughs> practically blacked out, or you can make them very subtly a little dimmer, and I'm going with 12% on the slider, so I can tell with a naked eye. I like to use a, the dark mode theme for all of my apps in the interface, top to bottom, so I see a lot of black bars and sidebars like that, but then page content is going to be white and things like the internet web pages. So I, I can distinguish everything pretty easily with Hazelfer and for example, right now we have the outline in one window on the left side, and then we have the uh, application we use for recording the podcast, uh, Zencaster on the right. And it's just enough of a haze that I can tell that the outline window is the one that's open, and that's the one that I have selected. So if I'm going to do something, it's going to happen in Google Docs instead of the podcast streaming mm. application. Well, I have a couple of responses to that and a couple of questions, actually. My first mm -hmm. response is this appears to be a problem that Apple just has because iPad has had this problem since forever where you can't overlap windows on the iPad and ask me what I think about that later. <laughs> um, I feel like Apple need, has a lot of work to do there and, and a lot, they need to prove that they act, this is actually a better system. But anyway, um, but when you have two windows side by side or two applications side by side on the iPad, Tell me which one's active. It's very difficult because they don't distinguish. They do not do anything in the UI to distinguish which one's active. It's Aren't they both difficult. active all the time? No matter what you're doing, you just type and it goes to both apps? No, no I guess it's not no, how it works. No, no, no. Oh. It's not how it works. So, so there's no way to distinguish on the iPad which application is actively receiving input. Yeah, so the only way Apple I can tell is wherever the cursor happens to be if it's blinking. Yeah, and that's such a little bitty thing that's easy to miss. And especially if you're like looking and, and doing this and that and you're trying to be quick and then you start typing but you're in the wrong window because you couldn't – there's just not enough visual distinction and it's too much cognitive overhead. So anyway, they have brought this problem that formerly wasn't a problem to the Mac. So now you have to have this third-party application to help you. <laughs> Which is just dumb. Like, yeah. Apple, come on. D don't do this to us. Like, you used to be better at this. This is, like, I, I – so my other response and, and really more of a question is the great thing about windowed operating systems is I will very often arrange windows so that I can see the content of another window while I'm working actively in a different window. But I need to visually see the other one to glean information from it or to see what's happening. So I assume you can adjust haze over to the point that it, it's still easy to see what's going on in the inactive window, but you can it's just slightly dimmed, it looks like, mm -hmm. from the video. Yeah, I'm having it very mildly put a bit of darkness across the windows that are not selected. And I, I can still tell that they're white 
windows, you know, so, so I have two web pages open right now. The mm-hmm. one that is selected is basically ultra white. The one that is deselected is off white. So it's enough that I can tell the difference. If I were in a brighter environment, I don't know that I would have enough contrast, but I like to keep my office space pretty dim and use a couple of lamps because doing a lot of video production, TJ, I do like a dimly lit room for a little bit more of a cinematic mm. experience working on yeah. my Mac. And I definitely, works. I don't know if I would say I like, this is a tangent, but I don't know that I like dimly lit. I like indirectly lit. Um, I do not like straight overhead lights. I like for lights to be around the edges of the room and usually bouncing off the ceiling and that sort of thing. Yeah, same um, here too. Yeah, yeah. So the other question I have about Hazeover is can you make it so that it instantly dims and doesn't do this whole fading animation thing? Because I'm if I want to emulate the actual previous experience that you had in Catalina, it would be when you instant. change a window, it's instant. It instantly changes. I don't need the I find animations are so overused, they often make things feel slower. Um, so, the, so I'm just curious question, if there's Yeah, that's an, a very valid question. So what's funny about that, you mention it. The default is at animating for th- 0.3 seconds, and you can change it from off completely, so it's instantaneous all the way okay. up to three seconds. And I, I can't imagine Perfect. who wants to have that kind of fun. That no, is way too fun for me. <laughs> okay. Well, that's my, that's my thoughts on Big Sur. Did you have anything you wanted to add at 40-something minutes into this podcast? Or shall we move on? <laughs> well, those are your first impressions. Rock solid. And I'd say from using the system now for many weeks, it gets the Darnell seal of approval. And I would say anybody still leaning on the fence, if the, you don't like the look of Big Sur because the interface just uh, grates on you that you're leaving the past and you like the style of older operating system, then stay with that. You don't have to. And if you like the look of Big Sur and you were previously concerned with stability issues and speed, then you probably don't have to worry about that anymore based on your impressions and my impressions as well. I think it's worked really well. And I, I have to say with a minor caveat, I'm using the... 5k iMac with all the souped up bells and whistles, the best tech specs I could give it. So it could be that that has eliminated some of the potential Big Sur bucks, but you're using a Hackintosh and that means it's uh, fairly reliable on different hardware. So that's a good sign. Yeah. I mean, I, my Hackintosh has never been really a problem other than the, you know, changing out the bootloader to get to Big Sur, but like it's always been stable. So, um, yeah, I, all right, Joe, you want me to uh, – I know I've been doing a lot of talking in this episode, but um, we did say No, we that... need to hear things from you. It's, it's always a good chat when I get to hear all the things happening for TJ's life. So we, we talked about last week how uh-huh. I had never named my phone and my watch, and you, you, you nerd-shamed me, basically. Yes. And you, go, you know what? I should have names for my devices, and I have names for my computers, so I don't know why I, I never named my, my phone and my watch before. But I want to reveal – uh, what first of all do you do you want to guess what like what where, where I would have gone for the naming I don't even I didn't even have any ideas when I said I was going to do it so oh it could be in any direction but it has to be something geeky maybe sci-fi Nerdy. maybe yeah. futuristic maybe artificial yeah. intelligence Mm-hmm, uh, those, mm-hmm, those, that mm-hmm. would be the category of range I would go to. Okay, but it could you're be you're, you're very warm, very warm. You called it Johnny Five Alive. No. Oh, okay. I said I was nerdy, not not uh, esoteric. Uh, what's, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> uh, what, uh, anyway, 
No, you were you were on the right track with um, nerdy. Um, uh, sci-fi is the wrong genre, but it's close. And then you said uh, artificial intelligence. And I, and I I'll tell you what my thinking was here as I as I moved in this direction. My phone is kind of the nerve center, right? Where it's always with me. It's always in my pocket. I'm all I, you know. It's always doing stuff for me. Yeah. Similar to another comic book character might use oh, his um, artificial what's his intelligence. Name, uh, Jarvis. There you go. <laughs> really? So I named my phone Jarvis. Yeah. Now, so I named my phone Jarvis for those reasons because it is very much, in many ways, the way Tony uses Jarvis in, in Iron Man, um, Tony Stark. My second it's, guess would have been uh, Girl Friday. So, or just Friday. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so based on the fact that I named my phone Jarvis, what do you think I might have named my watch? Um, Which is an extension of my phone. Well. Almost uh, a replacement, well, you might say. What's his name? Oh, man, I'm blinking on his name. It's not Ultron, but. Uh, well, okay, remember, okay, you're on the right track, though. Remember that Tony Stark did have to replace Jarvis Vision. once Jarvis became Vision. Once Jarvis became Vision, he had to replace Jarvis with something in his tech, and he calls well, that something. I remember you, Friday. You, you've I actually forget- already said it. Yeah, yeah. I said Friday. Friday? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. So I named my watch Friday. So my phone is Jarvis and my watch is Friday. Now, I don't, that makes sense. I'm not used to calling them by these names, so that's what I've named them in the software. Yeah. Um, it's not like you're going to tell your wife, I need to go grab Jarvis, uh, for, left yeah. him on the nightstand. <laughs> exactly, Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing is, um, I, I hadn't, the only computer I haven't named, and I still haven't technically named the computer, but I, um, my work computer, uh, just because it just, you know, it's not my computer. And so I've never thought about it in quite the same way. Although it's weird because it it is my computer, right? It's, it's owned by my company, but like, it's my computer. It's my account that I log into. It's my stuff. It's like, I think of it as my computer and I don't Nobody else has got their paws on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll probably name the computer itself at some point, but I took the step of naming the hard drive. Uh, this one, in a you'll never guess the direction I went with this one, so I'm just going to tell you. Um, <laughs> okay. In, in Warehouse 13, there is a device called a Farnsworth that is used for audio-video communication. And so that, I named the hard drive Farnsworth. Oh, okay. Yeah, I would have never, ever thought of that. Because <laughs> well, so. you've, never, you've never watched uh, Warehouse 13. And um, f- so Farnsworth is a, a guy who is an inventor and the, um, the device, uh, in the, in the show, at least that they use for audio visual communication in warehouse 13 was, um, allegedly invented by this guy named Philo, uh, Farnsworth. I, I don't oh, know if I'm okay. pronouncing his first name correctly, but, uh, anyway, I named the hard drive Farnsworth. So plenty cool. of nerd, nerdy stuff going on, going on there. You've got the geek seal of approval on all of those names. Good job. <laughs> All right. Um, we had several things, Joe, that we were going to talk about, uh, but I think we're going to push those off to next week. Uh, particularly uh, next week, I think we're going to talk, be talking about our favorite holiday music and traditions um, it, just because it's the holidays and Christmas is going to be right around the corner when our next episode comes out. So yes. uh, what do you Looking think? Forward you want to push that, that off to next week? Oh, yes, let's. Uh, and I have had a lot of time to think about this. In fact, my whole life to think about my favorite Christmas stuff. So I've been looking forward to telling everybody for the last 35 years, it's going to be the best episode ever. 
<laughs> Great. Well, Joe, if people want to talk to you about, and, and, and just complain about how much I talked during this episode and you didn't, um, where, where do people do that at? <laughs> if they want to hear more from me, then they can catch up with me on Twitter. I'm at JCS Darnell. And you should unfriend TJ and stop following him and block him from your Twitter account. Great. Perfect. And if you want to block me on Twitter, I am TJ Draper Pro. Find me over there uh, so that you can click that block button. Um, yeah, and the show notes for this episode are going to be at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi slash 14, because this is our 14th episode, of course. And we'll put some links to the various things that we talked about. Um, Hazeover, Audio Profile Manager, uh, Carbon Copy Cloner, and things like that. We'll, we'll put those in, uh, in the show notes so that you can find them. We will chat with you next week. Thank you.